0: Well, good morning. Greetings to each of you in the Master's name this morning. I thought I was going to be able to find a place for the book open there, but maybe that'll work. You can turn your Bibles, if you would like, to Hebrews chapter 12. I didn't realize that our Sunday school, as I prepared this message, I didn't realize that our Sunday school class would go in the direction that it did this morning, the men's Sunday school class. So I feel like the men that were involved in that class will be listening uh, in a different way to this message than what probably the rest of you will. How many of you remember me making this drawing a month ago or so when I preached a message. Okay, most of you, that's good. Uh, I'm not going to really add anything to that drawing, but I want it there for a visual, and we'll go over it in just a little bit as part of the message this morning. So I'm pulling a little bit from that message. I'm also pulling a little bit from uh, the last message I preached and trying to go further than we went then. And one of the things that I mentioned as a struggle for us as people is that we, I fear that we have, and I speak for myself, but I fear we have too much spiritual laziness in our lives. And I've been thinking about that and I've been thinking a lot about how much each generation has to wrestle with the truth and come to the truth and come to know the truth. And you know, wrestling is hard work. I had a brother that was three and a half years older than me and none that were younger, so wrestling was really hard work for me when I was young. (laughs) It takes a lot of physical effort to wrestle in the physical sense. In the spiritual sense, it takes a lot of effort to wrestle with the truth of God's Word. Are we putting forth that kind of effort in our spiritual lives? I want to give credit this morning to Elijah Yoder. He, I'm pulling some of my thoughts. He, he helped me in a talk that that he had about one of his classes at SMBI on biblical interpretation helped me to kind of bring this message together. It also gave me a title for the message this morning. The title of the message is, Person, Principle, and Practice. I want to be clear this morning. I want to be very clear. So I want you to pay special attention with what I'm about to say. My goal this morning is not in any way to minimize principle or practice. I want that to be very clear. It is not to minimize principle or practice. My goal is to put them in perspective. So as conservative Christians, we tend to focus a lot on practice. We've historically focused a lot on practice, especially as conservative Anabaptist people. And it is important to live out the Scriptures. That's very important. It's important to follow what the Scripture teaches. I've also heard many times that we need not only the practice, but we need to preach, teach the principle that's behind the practice. We need to know the principles that lay behind the practices. And I believe that's important too. But I believe we need to go further than just the principle. We need to go to the person who gave us the principle. We need to go to the person of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, I'm going to stop right there. It's saying here in these verses that we're compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. And that's just following the faith chapter in in chapter 11 here. And it's saying, let us lay aside the weight, the things that drag us down in this struggle. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, I talked about wrestling a little bit ago, and it, I don't know if it takes as much effort as racing. Racing takes a lot of effort if you go very long, if you go very far. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. It's talking about moving forward as fast as we can, as hard as we can, trying to get to a place that we want to go. And then it tells us what, how to do that. In verse 2, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set now at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. So He's telling us where to look. It's saying look to Jesus. Look to the person of Jesus. And look at how He ran the race. And don't be weary in running this race. Expend yourself to run this race. And and look at Jesus to do that. The focus is on the person. To seek the person of Christ. To know His character, His nature, and to follow Him. And to walk with Him in life. You see, the Old Testament didn't prophesy about the coming of a of a principle. It prophesied about the coming of a person. It proclaimed the coming of Jesus. And the first of His words we have on record show that His life was not guided by His belief, but rather by His person. Okay, so I'm cutting a pretty fine line right there. Luke 2, 49. Does anybody, can anybody tell me what the first words of Jesus were that we have recorded in the four Gospels? You're going to have to think in the, in the measure of age. Oh, I do my father's business. I must be about my Father's business. That's right. And he saith unto them, Why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my Father's business? So the things that he was doing were in relation to who He was, a son of the Father. I must be about my Father's business. This is who I am. I'm a son of the Father. His life was an outflow of His person. He came as the Son of God. And He lived as the Son of God. And what He did was a result of who He was, His person. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The living Word. Now I asked Treblin to lead this song this morning, and... uh, I also realize I have to be a little bit careful with the wording in this song. But it says in the first verse, it says, beyond the sacred page, I seek the Lord. Now there's two, there's different ways you could take that. And what we, how we don't want to take it, and I'm going to tell you how we don't want to take it first. We don't want to take it in a way that I expect some kind of special revelation outside of the word that will reveal Jesus to me, or something special about Jesus. That'd be something like the Mormon position where Joseph Smith received a special revelation about who Jesus was. We're not talking about that. That's not what it's talking about. And in fact, I would prefer the wording within the sacred page, I seek thee, Lord. Because the Word gives testimony of who He is. But we are seeking the person of Jesus. And so we seek in the Word to find His person. To meet Him, to know Him. To, get to grasp His vision of humanity and to know Him as a close friend. Jesus taught principles of truth. He showed through parable and experience that the principles what the principles are that make up a life is pleasing to God. His teaching presented principles of truth that lay the foundation of human existence. But I want to point out something about those principles and where they came from. Mark 1:22 says, "And they were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes." So again, it's who He is that His teaching is coming out of and lending it authority. It's the person of Jesus that brought the authoritative message of the Word of God to these people. And they were astonished at the authority with which He spoke. And He spoke that way because of who He was. The principles he taught were true to his person, and the thing that gave the impact was the person of Christ. Jesus has some really interesting things to say about his practice, and this comes from John fourteen. A familiar verse in John fourteen six is, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me." Jump forward two verse, or jump further two verses to verse eight. Philip saith unto him, Shew us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath known me hath seen the Father. How sa- he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou then, Shew us the Father? So he's saying, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. My person presents God to you. Why are you asking this? Believe me, uh, believest thou that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. And so there's this, there's this union. Christ's person carried this union between him and the Father that was, that was fully connected. And he was speaking God's words to them. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Or else, believe me for the very works sake. Now his works were his practices, the things he was doing. And he says, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Or else, believe me for the very works sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall He do, because I go to my Father. You see, Jesus isn't telling them in these verses to believe in His works. He's telling them that His his works validate His person. Believe me for the works' sake. So as you see the works that I do, as you have seen the works that I do, recognize who I am. I am the Son of God. You should believe in my person. In who I am. So, I want to shift gears a little bit here. With this background of the fact that we have historically focused a lot on practice and Then, with this concept of Jesus, the person of Jesus, being who we are seeking in the Word, I'd like to think about three things biblical interpretation, focus of belief, and Christ like life. We'll start with first one biblical interpretation. And these, these three things are very tightly connected together. And so some of the thoughts are going to carry over from one to the other. So in biblical te- uh, interpretation, we're not looking to simply build conviction on specific doctrine, even though that's important. We do need to have conviction, and we do need to understand the doctrine. But that's not the heart of what we're looking for. We're looking for the person of Jesus. Our pursuit of Scripture is so that we can learn to know the person of Christ and then follow him in life. Our theology must be centered around the person of Jesus. He came to reveal God to us, his person is the way, the truth and the life, from John 14, 6. So Friday night, as I was preparing and thinking about this message and getting ready to start filling out my outline, I got a call from a man, and and that call relates somewhat to this idea of of Christ-centered theology. So this man was not a believer. He had read through the Bible... And he had people in the proximity in which he lived that were professing Christians. And his initial comments were that Christians teach the writings of the apostles over the teachings of Jesus. And so I started to to ask him a little bit about, about what that meant. To him. And he says basically what that means is that people talk about the things that the apostles wrote down, but they don't live or r- relate to others the way that Jesus did, the way he saw Jesus relating in the Gospels. And he, for, for a subject matter, he picked the Protestant fundamentalist view of alternative lifestyles. And he said it's, it's exclusive and it's condemning. That's how he saw their understanding of alternative of people who lived alternative lifestyles. And that's not the, at all the way that Jesus portrayed himself in his life. So that really got me to thinking about, about this... And, um, you know, this idea of the apostles' teaching being something separate from the teachings of Christ dates back at least as far as Martin Luther, and probably farther than that. But he was one of the first people that came to my mind, and here's why. Because in his preface of Romans, the book of Romans, he says this, and I quote, "...this letter is truly the most important piece in the New Testament." it is purest gospel, end of quote. So basically he's saying in his, in his thinking, the book of Romans was the premier most important book in the New Testament. And after that, second, second down came the gospel of John and Peter. And then some of the other gospels were under that. And then some of the other epistles. And then he had some questionable books that he didn't, feel like we're very uh, sound. And so, that that was the way he viewed the Scriptures. Now, the book of Romans is in here. It's true. It's truth. But there's a subtle shift when you take an approach like that. It puts the teaching, the teachings of the word at the forefront instead of the person of Jesus at the forefront. And as we looked earlier, it's the, the principles that Christ taught were anchored in his person. So in our interpretation of the Scripture, the principles should be anchored in the person, not the other way around. The caller Friday night was observing the end result of Luther's teachings. Are the principles set forth by the apostles important? Absolutely. But without being rooted in the person of Christ, they remind me of a job I have about every other year in one of Dana's flower beds. She has some knockout rose bushes, and in the winter time, they, when the the life runs out of those bushes and goes back down into the soil, they turn into a, a mass of stiff, bristly brambles. And about every other year, I need to go out there and cut those things off and get those brambles out of the way. And then the next spring, it's a nice, small, even, pretty bush again. Well, as I'm out there usually, you know, there's not really any good way to handle those things. They're all, they're down close to the ground and and those old branches come out and to cut them off, you gotta get in underneath and I'm out there messing with these things and I'm getting pricked and I've got gloves on and it's a tangle and hard to work with. And I'm like, so what's the point of these bushes anyway? It's about, I'm about ready to just pull them out and we'll be done with these things. But by the next spring, they're beautiful and pretty. And they're putting off a gorgeous picture in front of our house. So what's the difference? What the caller saw was a mass of prickly principles that were separated from the person he saw in Jesus. And he was turned away by an improper view of the gospel. What he saw were principles that were true. And he and I talked about some of those principles that were true. But I didn't rant and rave at him. I didn't yell at him that they were going to hell. And that's the way some people approach that, uh, those teachings. You see, the epistles were written by men who had been with Jesus personally. And they wrote from that perspective. They wrote with the understanding of who Jesus was. But if you're studying your Bible just to know the principles of truth and put them into practice, you're missing the point. Maybe I'm overstating that. But I want to go to my illustration a little bit here. In John 17, 3, it says that this is life eternal, that they may know thee the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And for those of you who weren't here, this circle represents God. Because of sin, we're separated from God. And God extended His Word and the person of Jesus down to earth. Jesus came, ministered, taught, lived a life of example, of perfection, and then went back to the Father. Further down in John seventeen twenty, He says, "...neither pray I for these alone." but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. And so there were many people that were saved as a result of the teaching, the, the, the verbal word of the apostles. The word that gave testimony of Jesus. And we today, if we're here as believers today, we have, been, we have believed on Him through the written word that gave testimony of Jesus Christ. The Word of the Apostles. And we have believed not simply on this, but rather on a living Word. Because if you have salvation, it's because you know a living God. You know the person of Jesus. There's no salvation in any other than in Him. And I remember very distinctly a moment in my experience that parallels with this this idea of the centrality of Christ as we think about the the Scripture and knowing Him. So I'd been studying the Gospels and I'd been crying out to God for Him to show me the truth. And He started to just open things up to me. The Holy Spirit, He poured out the Holy Spirit on me and the Gospels just came alive. It was like this simple, beautiful truth that was just there. Amazing. He described my life. He described my inner person. He showed me the way to live. And this thought came to me as I finished up the Gospel of John for, I don't know, I think like the third or fourth time in a row. Reading through all the Gospels. Now, if only the rest of the New Testament would line up with this. And I started into the book of Romans, and guess what I found? It made complete sense. It was no longer a list of principles of things to do. But it was the principles lived out by a person who was calling me to live out that same life. it came alive. My understanding of the epistles was now sourced from the person of Christ because I had come to know Him personally. Second thing I want to talk about is the focus of belief. See there's another subtle thing in Luther's position and that subtle thing is this. It is the belief, it is belief in the work of Christ instead of belief in the person of Christ. And there's not a lot of difference in those two things. But there is a lot of difference in those two things. Because belief in the work of Christ calls you to merely a mental assent to belief that detaches me from the responsibility to respond to the relationship. So, there's just a mental, there's just a call to me to mentally accept what Christ has done, the work that He has done, instead of a call for me to respond to a love faith relationship with Him. And there's a difference in those two things. It regards belief in the work of Christ as sufficient to complete salvation without the clear message of Jesus that salvation was linked to following him in life. There has to be a following of Jesus in life. Early Anabaptist leader Hans Dink says it well in his life's motto and here is part of a summary of his position and then the quote. For Dink, the living inner Word of God was more important than the letters of Scripture. Dink held that Christ is the embodiment of the perfect person, never separated from God because he he has always done God's will. Thus does Christ serve as a model. I want you to catch the difference here. Luther taught the doctrine of justification by faith, whereas Dink's whole emphasis was put instead on discipleship to Jesus. Indeed, his motto was, "...no one may truly know Christ." Except one follows him in life. Justification by faith is part of the truth, but we cannot know that truth truly until we walk with him in life. We must walk with him in life. Luther taught the doctrine, he taught the principle. Dink was calling people to be a disciple of Jesus, to walk with Him and experience justification by faith through walking with Jesus. And we speak, many people claim to and call themselves followers of Jesus, but what do we mean by that? Are we referring to simply performing a list of principles that Jesus taught Are we talking about a relationship that is responding to Him through faith? See, there lies something in Dink's motto, and that's the connection of being with Christ. Walk with Him in life. In Mark 3.14, Jesus ordained 12 that they should be with Him, that He might send them forth to preach. And those twelve were His disciples. But did you catch what He ordained them? To be with Him. To know Him personally. Remember our text verse? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, Matthew 11:28, 28, Jesus makes an invitation. He says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. This is not a call to believe in His work. This is a call to His person to come to a relationship with Him. The focus of our belief is to be on the person of Christ. The third thing, a Christ-like life. No one may truly know Christ except one who follows Him in life. Again, the quote from Hans Dink. If we believe like Hans Dink did, that Christ was the embodiment of the perfect person, then we will want to be like Him. If you believe that Christ is the perfect person, then you will want to be like Him. Jesus' call to follow Him begins with a call to give up your person. And He said to them all, if any man will come after Me, so that's follow Him, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whosoever will save his life will lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for My sake the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? So Jesus says in these verses that losing our person for his sake will really be saving our life. How's that? How does that work? Well, Paul answers that in Second Corinthians 4, verses 10 and 11. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. We give up our person to gain His person. And that's much deeper than acting out principles by putting them in practice. It means taking His nature, embracing His worldview, sharing His motives, loving the things that He loves, and hating the things He hated. Out of our new person will come the principles and practice of Jesus. And there is only one way that that can happen. As we focus on His person, We experience the power of His life in us. It's the only way for us to show Christ to the world. Wrestling is hard work. It's far easier to give a list of principles and practices than to establish and maintain a vital relationship. It's a whole lot easier to pass on a list of things to do than it is to exercise yourself and engage yourself in connecting with the person of Jesus on a regular basis and understanding the truth that He wants to plant deep in your heart. A relationship is something that requires you to take personal responsibility But unless we take that responsibility personally, we will become nothing more than dead prickly branches instead of a beautiful flower. The person of Jesus is the second Adam. The representation of what humanity was meant to be, the image of the invisible God. Our goal as Christians is to know His person more and more fully and to exemplify that true humanity in the world today.